Although the characters we discuss are fictional, the challenges people face every day are not. The information we provide in this podcast is for entertainment and informational purposes only and should not be used in place of advice from a mental health or medical professional. If you are struggling with mental health issues, please seek professional help. Thanks for listening and welcome to the Jedi Council Podcast, where we explore mental health in your favorite fictional characters. Hey folks, welcome back to the next episode of the Jedi Council Podcast, where we like to explore mental health in your favorite fictional characters. This is your graduate student co-host, Brandon Saxton. And your associate professor co-host, Katie Gordon. How are you doing today, Katie? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm doing very good. It's... The weather's okay? I don't know. I don't know. The weather's not impacting my mood today. <laughs> this is our usual banter portion of the episode, and normally I'm a little bit quicker at coming up with something, but I think I'm just tired. It's the yeah. end of the semester sleepies. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, it's been a busy time. We are planning to see Justice League on Thursday, so yeah. that's exciting. Hopefully, maybe talk about that a little bit on Friday to give folks a little uh, one of our classic review episodes yes. where we just gush about something that we hopefully will really enjoy, but we'll see. That's right. We like to give out that bonus content. Heck yeah. And then even maybe more exciting in my mind, this weekend is my brother, my brother, and me. Yeah. Yeah, so I'm really excited about for that. I tweeted uh, and linked them all in our tweet, but none of them retweeted us. Oh. They're too famous for us. Those McElroy brothers who we've talked about before, just, they do a lot of great podcasts, and so we're going to be able to see them live, which will be really fun and inspirational for big podcast fans like us. Yeah, it'll be awesome. Mm -hmm. Uh, But for today, Stranger Things. Yes. More Stranger Things. Mm-hmm. The Stranger Things just don't end in Stranger Things. No, it's true. Uh, so maybe just a really quick update. Uh, more spoilers, of course. Uh, Katie and I had a chance to watch episodes 4, 5, and 6 this week. Uh, kind of in overall impressions of the story as it continues, Katie? I'm definitely hooked into the story. I um, I stopped after episode 6, and I've been mm-hmm. trying to kind of like have an even pace in watching them, but... I think I'm hoping to to watch the last three and looking forward to kind of figuring out how it turns out. It's definitely suspenseful at this point. Yeah. Yeah, it really ramps up kind of the action now as things are kind of... They did a lot of building for the first three episodes. It was almost like they knew we were going to break this up into three-episode chunks. That was so sweet of them. It was. (laughs) Uh, So, yeah, it was a lot of interesting stuff. Um, Dart kind of turning into... more of a monster. I was really sad that Dart ate the cat. That really yeah, did bother me. Yeah, that was me. disturbing. Dustin seemed to really... <laughs> Pretty cold. He, did, he was very businesslike with that. Yeah. And, like, I, of course, I, I like cats. I consider myself more of a dog person, but I like cats. But I think I was most hurt by the reaction of Dustin's mom, who clearly really liked the cat and yeah. was very upset about that. So, Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I thought that there was some realism to like the developmental level of like dustin's reasoning at that time he's like yeah if i keep this super cool thing from another world it'll impress max who he has a crush on or whatever and um you know that's you can get like why he thinks that but it's you know it's that's not how it worked out let's put it that way to be sure i was sort of interested because i can't remember exactly who said it but they refer to dart as a baby demogorgon i think it actually was max or Dustin, actually, mm-hmm. not Max. Uh, and so I did some reading about Demogorgon, which of course comes from the Dungeons & Dragons universe. 
And as it turns out, Demogorgon is actually a proper noun, is a name of, oh. of a demon. Yeah. Um, it's not a species of, of things. It, Demogorgon is a specific demon lord who lives in, uh, well, a certain plane of not the material oh. plane. Yeah, I thought that was interesting. Yeah, that is very interesting. Super irrelevant that. to mental health or anything. But it, it is relevant to the geek part of it this It was, podcast. yeah. It was, true. Uh, and so I thought that was pretty interesting because I've there's a certain Dungeons & Dragons campaign i've been looking at maybe picking up and running when i dm again someday which includes demogorgon oh yeah. interesting yeah so it was one of those wikipedia wormholes you know yeah how it is. oh yeah. do i <laughs> <laughs> it never ends sometimes no, so that's what happened with that definitely but you know i think that you know the overall look and feel of the series continues to be cool the music is great the pace yep. is great the acting is outstanding oh, yeah. i mean i think there continue to be nice bits of acting between parents and their kids and the kids with each other. And I, I just think that it's great. So I'm excited that we picked out some more psychological yeah. concepts. Uh, in our last episode, if you were, we picked out a few of those. And at first, Brandon and I didn't think there was many in yeah. this three. But after talking about we ended up with double as many as last time. Yeah, it's pretty impressive. Yeah, so mm -hmm. three things maybe I'll highlight that we're going to talk about in this episode is we're going to talk a little bit about behavioral modification and parenting, specifically mm -hmm. with how Hopper is trying to influence Eleven's behavior and how effective that is or not. We're going to talk a little bit about diagnosis and kind of how Joyce wants to know what's going on with Will. We're going to talk about um, whether Eleven's mom received shock mm -hmm. therapy or not. We're going to talk about there's some uh, brain scans mm -hmm. in episode six, and they refer to specific areas of the brain where they see activity and will, and we're going to talk about how accurate that is. Then we'll talk about Steve's advice to Dustin mm -hmm. about how to connect with Max. And then finally kind of conclude with some of the nice peer interactions they have of yeah. listening to each other. And so that's what's ahead today. Yeah, absolutely. So maybe uh, without further ado, I'll jump right into behavior modification a little bit. So if you didn't listen to our two-part behavior modification episode, is that what it was? Yes. Okay. Uh, that's a great place to get a really quick primer for some of the underlying principles of behavior. But those principles really came to mind for me when we saw the scene between Hopper and Eleven, where Eleven comes back after she's been out and she saw Mike in episode three. And Hopper kind of says, you know, where were you? Did anyone see you? Of course, that mother and daughter saw Eleven. We know that. Uh, they called the police, which, of course, Hopper is the police. And so he tells her that she's grounded. Asks her, do you know what that means? Uh, likely she's never been grounded before. Maybe doesn't even understand the concept. And uh, he tells her, no more uh, waffles, no more egos. And he says, uh, no more TV for a week. And he tries to pick up the TV, presumably to move it, or I don't know what he's going to do with it. And she uses her psychic abilities to hold it down. And then he says, all right, two weeks and then a month. And then he just rips the cord out and, and uh, wrecks it. And uh, it got me thinking about behavior modification and, and how it, maybe it relates to parenting. And, of course, I'm not a parent and I'm not a parenting expert, but just I do know a few things about behavior modification. And uh, so what we do know from behavior modification, and, and you might remember from our previous episodes, is what Hopper was using was punishment procedures uh, where he was applying an aversive stimulus to decrease a behavior, the behavior being leaving the house, the aversive stimulus being... Or I guess what he was doing is using negative punishment. He was uh, withholding or uh, he was removing positive reinforcers. I'm sorry, I just mixed up on that. Uh, so he was taking away the TV and taking away the waffles to decrease the leaving the house behavior. 
And uh, usually when we're developing behavior modification procedures, punishment procedures are not the frontline sort of uh, treatment. Uh, it's, you want to use the more what they call functional interventions. And functional interventions include things like uh, antecedent control or applying extinction uh, or differential reinforcement, which I won't get into those, but really they're more related to uh, either applying uh, reinforcement or using extinction. Which again we have more about in our other episodes yes. on behavioral modification. Yeah, I don't want to detail. Get, yeah, I don't want to get too bogged down again. But basically, uh, that would be my recommendation to Hopper. Maybe let's try some reinforcement instead of punishment. And the reason that uh, applied behavior analysts or folks who implement behavior plans start with those functional approaches as opposed to punishment is because punishment. Uh, there, of course, there's just some controversy about it in the field, particularly positive punishment, which is when you apply an aversive stimulus. Uh, there are some professionals that think we really ought not to use that ever for any circumstances. Some other professionals think it should be a last line of treatment. So there's some discussion about that. But uh, beyond that, punishment we know results in, sometimes it can be negatively reinforcing for the person using punishment because the aversive uh, behavior that they don't want to be exposed to goes away. So they're more reinforced to use the punishment procedures. And also a lot of the times the person whose behavior is being modified through punishment procedures responds by being aggressive or uh, intense emotions or things like that, which we saw a perfect example of. Yeah, yeah I, and I think that that's, you know, you can kind of see, and I think this aspect is is realistic to why it's difficult for parents to apply these consistently, yeah. is that Hopper is terrified that she's going to yeah. get hurt, and so he's desperately looking for any point of leverage he has. Now, it is important to identify points of leverage. Mm -hmm. I mean, a lot of, like, a common one that people with teenagers do is they'll... Um, you know, they'll use as reinforcement their screen time or mm -hmm. something like that. But he just, he um, kind of just keeps escalating with it and and basically taking away any remote escape she has, mm -hmm. like the television or the pleasure in eating her Eggo waffles, because she is so isolated and desperate to kind of um, see Mike and stuff like mm -hmm. that. And so he kind of is trying to protect her, but it's it's backfiring because yeah. she's... She's a person. People don't respond well to those kind of things. And she has these these needs and she has her own autonomy. And so it just ends up, you know, at the end of episode six, you really hear yeah. his remorse for how he responded and kind of breaking down that underneath that anger, it just seems to be a lot of pain and fear that yeah. something was going to happen to her. Absolutely. Uh, that was a life and death sort of situation, yeah. quite literally. So, uh, of course... Uh, not the standard behavior modification protocols always apply, but it did just jump to mind while I was watching. No, no, yeah. I think it's an. It, I think it's important. I think mm. that um, you know, often I have done some therapy where I'm teaching parents about behavioral modification, and often the times that it's hardest to do are the most important, right? Mm -hmm. Because if you're doing something like you said that's not effective, that doesn't actually fix the problem and keep her safer. It's understandable. But it's not helpful. It can backfire. She's going to withdraw. She's going to, you know, um, not listen to him. Mm -hmm. It damages, it can damage their relationship and all those types of things. And so those are hard times to do that. So often when parents are learning about parent training for a variety of concerns they have about their kids, you um, do kind of take them step by step through those mm -hmm. things. So I think that's a great point. Yeah. And another thing that's really important when you're working on behavior modification, particularly decreasing problem behaviors, is really understanding what's 
the function of the behavior. Yeah. And if you don't present or introduce some sort of behavior that will fill that function, you're going to have a really hard time decreasing the problem behavior. And the problem behavior, of course, was leaving. And the function was to have interaction, specifically with Mike, but to have interaction in general mm -hmm. to avoid that isolation. So by removing the TV, which is really her only other source of not being isolated, uh, he's really set himself up for, for not yeah. decreasing the problem behavior at all. Just yeah. as you think about the principles And from her perspective, what else does she have to lose, right. you know, except to fight back against that mm -hmm. that kind of situation? Then it becomes kind of a power struggle, right. you know. And you never want to sort of catch yourself in those sort of power struggles. Yeah. No, I agree. Way. That's a great point. Um, some of the, for example, in therapy and working with people who have non-suicidal self-injury mm -hmm. or substance use or some other kind of behavior that is harmful in some way, if you don't identify, well, why are they doing that in mm -hmm. the first place? Maybe it's it's benefiting them in some mm -hmm. way. There Maybe it's helping them regulate their emotions. Mm -hmm. It's still making things worse overall right. and hurting them. But if you ignore the function of mm -hmm. it, then it can... It, it, they can feel not understood and they also feel stuck because then they just have the emotions and they're not sure what to do with it. So that's why a lot of the time it's finding healthier functions for coping with emotions or whatever it is that's going on. Yeah, absolutely. I had an old clinical supervisor at my first practicum site who always asked me that question. What's the function of that behavior? Mm -hmm. And it's it's maybe seems intuitive in retrospect, but it wasn't always for me at the time because if something's a problem behavior and it clearly is impacting someone's life in a negative way, it's sometimes hard to think, no, it's still serving a purpose. They're engaging in that behavior for a reason. And I've tried to really instill that in my students as well in teaching this class if there's anything to take home. It's just when behavior is happening, really consider what's the function of it. And you'll be so much more effective in not only understanding it, but modifying it or engaging with that person as well. Definitely. And it... it um ask for some empathy in that. Mm -hmm. And also, you know, one of the classics with parent training is a child who's acting out because they're not getting attention for mm -hmm. positive behaviors. Maybe their parents are busy or there's some, they have their own struggles going on, whatever it is. So when the kid is behaving well, they're kind of ignored because mm -hmm. everything is going fine. But if they start acting out in some way, then the parent's paying attention to them. And even if it's negative attention, it still can be reinforcing. So one mm -hmm. of the first things in, in parenting therapy is paying positive attention, mm -hmm. making sure that you're not just paying attention when the person's acting out. And that can really be influential yeah. in parenting. Absolutely. So I thought that was interesting. Yeah. It caught my mind. And of course, when, as you know, when you're teaching a class, the, the things in the class are often on your mind. Oh, yeah. Because you talk about it three hours a week. So mm -hmm. when I saw those, I was just like, oh my gosh, this is a perfect behavior modification example. But I yeah. I agree. All right, so should we cruise on to our next uh, talking point? Sure. Uh, so when, of course, at the end of episode three, we see Will, I don't know, is possessed the right term? It does yeah. seem like he's possessed. The creature's taking over because right when they try to burn the creature, yeah. he's... Feels he like he's on pain, fire, yeah. which is so hard to watch. Oh, yeah, that was very painful. So um, I think I, I've sort of tried to think of a better word, but I think possessed is the right word, but I, even if it's not quite perfect. Yeah, the creature's taking over his body somehow. So yeah. I think that's, yeah, possession. Okay. Occupying. Uh, yeah, so at any rate, uh, Will is possessed by this smoke. I don't like calling it the smoke monster. Because it's I'm, like lost. I think it's lost. <laughs> yeah. But I don't know what else to call it. Smoke beast. I heard them call it on okay. the show. But that feels a little strange, too. Man. The big bad. Of the big bad, things. really, yeah. Now I'm thinking of lost. That could be its own 50-part podcast episode <laughs> for a lot of reasons. Anyway, Will is possessed by the smoke monster, not from Lost, but from Stranger Things. And so Joyce... Fun fact, though, 
similar to Lost in Legend of Wonder Woman. If anyone out there has read it, it's very good by Renee DeLiz and Ray Dillon. Um, they also have a smoke kind of monster taking over the island or some kind of creature. And it is, it is. I think it's just from that mythology where it's overlapping. Oh, cool. But anyway, that's all. Just had to give a shout out to Legend awesome. of Wonder Woman because it's so such good. a great series. Yeah. Um, Joyce takes Will to uh, lab again. Hot. Mm-hmm. Yep. To see Dr. Owens. Uh, and they sort of, and we'll talk a little bit more about this later on in one of our points, uh, they give her a lot of non-answers, really. And yeah. they throw a lot of technical jargon at her, which people, you can imagine if your child is in this sort of pain, you're not interested in technical jargon. You want an answer and you want a solution. And she's very much experiencing some increased emotion or intense emotion in response to that. And she says, listen, you're not saying anything. What's wrong with him? What's the diagnosis? That got me thinking, too, about the importance of diagnosis. Mm -hmm. So I don't know. Have we ever talked about this in this podcast, Katie? Kind of this uh, contention, maybe, or discussion about how some people say, you know, if you give someone a diagnosis, you're you're labeling them. Uh, Whereas I think people in kind of the way that we conceptualize it, if you give someone a diagnosis, you're providing them, you're normalizing their experience and you can provide some hope. And show that uh, by having that uh, something that's labeled, it's common enough to be labeled, and showing people who have what you have uh, can be treated. That's You did a study on this in graduate school, right? Yeah, there's yeah. some a controversy where there are some individuals who will not tell their clients mm-hmm. what their diagnosis is, even if they ask. Mm-hmm. And so we basically just looked at people's emotional responses to being told their diagnosis. It was kind of like a multiple-point study. And what we found is that people tend to feel more hope and more validation on average. Mm-hmm. There are different reactions um, to to learning what their diagnosis is. And and the idea behind it is they seem to feel like this person understands me. Mm-hmm. They're being honest and open with me, which Joyce is frustrated about mm-hmm. that because basically it's being pitched to her as like it's all in his head. It's all explained by PTSD. She knows something is wrong with yeah. her son. And for people who have had medical or... or um, other mental health type problems and who have gone to see a professional and they know something's wrong and rather than being told like we're not really sure what it is they're told it's just in your head or something mm-hmm. like that it is so frustrating those people there's actually an an old golden girls episode which i know is kind of weird to listen in this where dorothy goes to doctors and she says something's wrong and they're basically like you're stressed out you just have this problem and she ends up being diagnosed with um chronic fatigue syndrome after she goes to the different um doctors and that's kind of a big deal because there are um there's evidence that for medical disorders we there are some that are not easy to recognize or at least not at first. And so it's important to be open about what the findings are rather than just saying, Oh, it's just in your mind or something like that. So I I think that's important. And then secondly, when working in therapeutic settings, in most cases, it's not always an all or nothing rule. There seems to be evidence that telling people their diagnosis in a way that is collaborative saying, you know, this is how I arrived at this diagnosis. You told me these things, those make up this disorder. We have a treatment for it, that that can help be helpful to people. Um, obviously there are unhelpful ways to tell someone what their diagnosis is. If you're labeling them negatively and it, and people are concerned that it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy or they self-stigmatize. But if you do it in a specific way, that is providing them with information, telling them that what the treatment options are, there is some evidence that it can be helpful. Yeah. And in this case, it's like she knows something's wrong. So right. to be told, like, it's in his head or it's just this other thing, it's not that, 
that's really frustrating. In in defense, I suppose, of Dr. Owens and the yeah. Hawkins lab, it's not it's not really like a medical condition. And it's, right. there might not be a name or a diagnosis for what Will's experiencing. But I think the point stands. They weren't being forthcoming, for sure. No, they're pretending. They're basically trying to give her a line about something that, so that she does yeah. so she stops paying attention to what they're really doing. Mm-hmm. But nonetheless, what we do is we talk about real yes, psychological right. points in this context. So, and it got me thinking about that. Because, right, really, you, but, yeah. you could see how frustrated she was, not knowing what was going on and wanting an answer. And, and mm-hmm. I think that's a, a, a relatable for folks to, you know, want answers. And, and I think that having that that answer and, and that can lead to a treatment uh, plan or a pathway to feeling or getting better. I think that's uh, that's something. Or to, even to... acknowledging saying we don't know what's going right. on. You know, um, when I teach about like conversion disorders where people have these kind of uh, physical symptoms, like it can be numbness in their hands or they have trouble seeing and there's no medical explanation for them. A lot of the time it's told like it's in your head and it's stressed. Sometimes that's true. But a decent proportion of them, as I tell my class, end up being diagnosed with a medical problem later, mm-hmm. just that it wasn't recognized. Mm-hmm. And so it's just important to not to have some humility about it. Run the basic test, look to see what's there, but also to be open with someone if, like, yeah, something is going on, but we don't know mm-hmm. what it is, rather than insisting, like, you should just calm down and yeah. that kind of stuff. Yeah, that doesn't evoke a lot of empathy or or certainly uh, you're not being empathetic, I guess, if you're engaging in that. And it's not validating at yeah. all for the person or their experience. Yeah, her son is, like, literally losing his memories and stuff yeah. like that and uh, acting like he's being burned. Yeah, So and has all the windows and doors open because he says he likes it cold. Exactly. Yeah, so she's going to she's going to advocate for yeah. him and I think that it's important to respect that even though as we talked about there are some parts that are clearly fictional and exaggerated. Oh yeah. Absolutely. By nature of the story. But, some stranger But things. that's how we do. <laughs> exactly. Um a third thing that we wanted to talk about is Eleven's mom. So if I understand the sequence correctly, it seems that Eleven is basically kidnapped after she was born and taken to the lab. I think that was the implication. Yes. And the mom, understandably, just is very, very yeah. upset about it. Because she's told that her daughter died during birth. Yes, and she knows that's mm-hmm. not true. She senses that. And so then she ends up, by the people who took Eleven, getting shocked. Yeah. And it seems like the goal is to remove her memory or to kind of make it so that she can't function anymore or something. Yeah, it was weird, and I couldn't really tell what was the state that she was in, because uh, it did seem like maybe the goal was to remove her memory, but she still seemed to retain her memory, but she didn't seem to have the capacity to function, uh, you know, to interact, uh, you know, other than clicking the TV channels or through the upside down. So, yeah, it was and sort of And repeatedly saying some words, yeah. right, but uh, she couldn't express it. And, right. like, her healthcare aide described her as being trapped in like a long dream state or something like there's some she's disconnected from mm-hmm. reality yeah and the words of course she was saying were related to the events which was cool visually how that played out I because like we had that heard too. this string of words and then it was related to the uh the sunflowers and mm-hmm. then the uh the rainbow safe and the mm-hmm. rainbow that she saw on the door uh so yeah that was pretty cool i thought just narratively speaking it was, and it's also, like, to me, a reminder that if an individual is having difficulty communicating, it's hard to know exactly what's going on in their mind, but you don't want to just write it off and say, you know, they're hallucinating or they are 
I mean, sometimes that does happen, mm-hmm. but maybe consider like they're trying to tell me something, mm-hmm. but there's something stuck in the communication. And I yeah. do think her healthcare aide seemed like a kind oh, yeah, person so who was really. Was the healthcare aide there during the birth? That was hard for me to tell what exactly their relationship okay. was. If she was, oh, okay. uh, you know, if she was related, it was hard for me to tell what exactly was going on. I don't even know if she's a healthcare person or like a relative taking care yeah. of her. I don't know. It wasn't clear to me either. Maybe we'll learn more. Yeah. Because that's what I thought too was like a home health care aid. Mm-hmm. But then when I saw her there during the birth, I was like, well, maybe a relative or, uh, I don't know, maybe a partner. I don't yeah. know. It wasn't Yeah, clear. honestly, I don't know. Because she, she was acting like someone was taking care of her, but that right. could very easily be someone with a personal relationship mm-hmm. to her. It wasn't clear to me. If, the, mm-hmm. if it was explained, I certainly missed it. Okay, so. I missed it too. So if any of you know... And we can't figure it out in the last three episodes. Let us know. But maybe they will go. I I suspect they'll do a little bit more. But one thing we wanted to talk about is, like, there is a history of misuse of shock therapy in the field. But there are modern uses. Mm -hmm. uh, ECT, electroconvulsive therapy. Mm -hmm. I'm not an expert on this by any means. But there are some modern uses that are more Mm fine-tuned, less damaging. And there are some suggestions that they can benefit. For example, um, I know that Carrie Fisher talked about the fact that when some other treatments didn't work as well, that she did seem to find some benefit from ECT. And I think that's a kind of, unless my my understanding is wrong, I think that's what it's reserved for is situations where... Uh, a last line of treatment where things are really nothing else has worked and this person is really struggling mm-hmm. and it's certainly not like in the violent manner that it was shown oh, in no. stranger yeah. things or that you see in like one flew over the cuckoo's nest yes. or something like that these the um, things have been changed quite a bit and that's not to say that there aren't um, things to think about and stuff yeah. like that but it's it's not as it's portrayed in Stranger Things. And also their point was not to help her with the mental health problem. Oh, it right, was no. It something was to else. incapacitate her or prevent her from really causing any sort of damage or spreading information uh, related to Hawkins Lad, as far as I could tell. That's right. I'm trying to find this Carrie Fisher quote real quick because she has a nice quote about, um, about ECT, and I'm trying to find it. Um, it's basically... She she kind of talks about how it's not. I think it might have been from one of her books. It's it's not a big thing in in, in terms of. And she found that it personally helped her. You know, so it's something like she talked about. It's like was getting her nails. You know, like yeah. It's this is one. It is. She kind of you know she has that funny yeah manner. And she's... I'm probably gonna break down into tears when they show her on, when she's oh, on the screen yeah. in Star Wars because she's just such an inspiration, and so amazing. But um, I'm gonna find it now that I've kept you all and and uh, stalled while I find it. If not, I will. Oh yeah. So she describes ECT as sort of like having your nails done if your nails were in your cerebral cortex, <laughs> which is kind of. Classic Carrie. Yeah. But again, great of her for being open about her mental health treatments, and she did a lot to raise awareness and advocacy while she was alive. An incredible person, to be sure. Yes. And we have a tribute episode, I think, about her. We do. And I have a fact that was wrong, but that I corrected in it. But it wasn't about her. It was about um, her role in editing one of the Star Wars films. Oh, okay. But you know how I am about being accurate. It is important. <laughs> um, so anyway, a, a little bit about that. The the other thing, anything else about that that you wanted to talk about? No. Okay. So 
towards the end of episode six, there's, um, they're looking, I think it's towards the end, but they're looking at some brain scans. Yeah. Am I, am I right about the episode? Uh, before we jump to that, actually, I oh. do have one more thing. Oh, sure. Yeah, yeah. Uh, at the end of episode four, Eleven learns that her name is Jane. Oh, yes. Yeah. And I actually thought that was pretty um, pretty cool to see. Uh, and I'm certainly not an expert on this. I did recently listen to a podcast about our names and how kind of our name shapes our life. And there, I haven't read the research, but this podcast talked about research that depending on how your what your name is, Sometimes your behavior will be reinforced in certain ways so that you kind of fit your name as your life goes on. I'm not sure. But I thought that was interesting. And, and it is important sort of because a lot, something that we've seen with Eleven is she struggled a little bit with her identity. She wants to know who her mother is. Uh, we saw that in the first three episodes and now she's met her. Now she has a name and that's, of course, they called her L. And so Yeah, she, she that a was name. a big part of it is yeah. that she was this number and they changed mm-hmm. it into a name kind right. of. And now she has what her formal sort of name given by her mother was. So I, I thought that was pretty cool and, and certainly helps a lot, I imagine, with her sense of identity and kind of trying to figure out who she is and what's her place in this world that she really knows nothing about. Yeah, and feeling like a person, basically, yeah. you know, with a name, with parents, and kind of mm-hmm. learning those stories about that. I agree. I'm glad you brought that up. I forgot about that. Um, so the towards the end, I think it's of episode six. Yeah. yeah, it's in episode six. They're looking at brain scans that look like fMRIs, mm-hmm. and basically it's the scientist and Dr. Owen sitting in a room, and someone's presenting the fMRIs, and the first one, they, they're of Will's brain. Mm-hmm. And I think everyone knows what fMRIs are, basically brain scanning, yep. scanning images. I think so. Scamming, not brain scanning. They scam your brains. <laughs> Functional magnetic resonance imaging. That's right. So they, um, they kind of, you can look at what parts of the brain are active and kind of structural components of the brain. So in this one, um, they have the, the person who has fMRIs holding up the images and they're like, this is a scan of... Will's brain from last week, and there are abnormalities in the hippocampus from last week, and says nothing out of line from what we've seen from other post-traumatic stress. And from looking at a quick search on this, we know that hippocampus can be related to memory, and there does seem to be some empirical evidence um, suggesting that there are smaller volumes in hippocampal tissue among people who have had post-traumatic stress disorder. So it's interesting that they included that then there's another scan. So this is from last night. Now you can see their abnormalities in the limbic and paralimbic areas. A quick skim of the literature mm-hmm. suggests, and again, it's uh, worth looking into more, um, that there is some suggestion with post-traumatic stress that you can see abnormalities in those areas, which are associated with emotional functioning and, and various things like that. So it's interesting that they... You know, sometimes they just, people, it seems like TV shows just pick some random brain word mm-hmm. and use whatever. Yeah. So I don't know how much they were consulting on specific areas there. But there seems to be some evidence for that part of what they're saying. Or at least they're picking brain areas that are consistent with the functioning yeah. as to what they're talking about. And then they show the scan. This is from an hour ago. And basically the whole brain is yeah. like lit up orange showing there's a lot of activity. And it kind of looks like the shape of the monster. And he's like, this is covering the whole area of the brain. And so you see that. And then the the symptoms, if you want to call it that, mm-hmm. I mean, in the science fiction world, 
are that Will is losing his memories to some extent, and you see his he's losing some control over his behavior too as this monster possesses mm-hmm. him. And it's interesting because they show that he remembers his mom and he remembers mm-hmm. Mike, but he doesn't remember Bob or even Hopper, yep. people who he's known for at least a year. Yeah, but less, Hopper, but a less but... amount of time. So I don't know if they're trying to distinguish like more recent memories to longer term memories, yeah. or if it has more to do with their specific roles in his life. This is kind of what I took from it, and maybe I'm wrong, and, and it'll probably be explained. I think the, the what they're kind of doing is the monster's consuming him. So I mm-hmm. think it'll slowly he'll just remember less and less of his life. So it's kind of like going from present and moving into the past of his memories. I don't mm-hmm. know if that's right or not, but it seems like what's happening. You're right. Yeah. Maybe we'll learn a little bit more about mm-hmm. it, and then of course the. Monster takes over his actions yeah, and basically... forces him to send some soldiers or I don't mm-hmm. know what their military personnel for the Hawkins lab mm-hmm. into a trap, yeah. After kind of acting like it was going to solve the yeah. problem, so... That caught me by surprise. Yeah, me too. Yeah, I thought that was a, a great twist. It's so sad because you can kind of see the yeah. parts of Will and then see like how he's being taken over. And I think uh, things are about to really kind of turn up action-wise too because all of those... Uh, baby demogorgons, which now I'm caught up on saying that because that's it's not what they are, but no, <laughs> so, but they, they are uh, sort of in the lab now, or so it's going to be intense. I think. Yeah, yeah, I agree. It was very suspenseful towards the end. I almost stayed up all night to finish I, I did the rest. Too. <laughs> but I was I'm like, like no. I have to go to bed. Go to sleep. Yeah. Um. So then, uh, anything else about that? I don't think so. It was interesting to sort of see brain imaging and yeah, and I was happy. You know, I don't expect expert level knowledge but i was happy that at least took the time to look up some of the link some of the structures to some of the functions i thought that was fine. i think it's cool i mean we talked about phineas gage last yeah. time and how there's some mythology yeah. around him but the basic idea that you if you damage a particular area of the brain you're going to see particular behaviors now it's not always as neat and clean as no. that but that's that's cool that they're putting some effort mm-hmm. into that so yeah. i agree um, the next thing we wanted to talk about had to do with uh, Steve. Yeah, absolutely. So Steve and Dustin, uh, it was kind of fun to see them team up again. Uh, and I like Dustin saying, oh, do you have your bat? Mm-hmm. Wh- whatever. But then I didn't like everything that I saw after that. Uh, so they're walking down the railroad track just dumping little pieces of meat. I don't know what it was. Just cubes of meat. They had a lot of that meat. They had a lot of that meat. I thought that too. And in fact, they were like quite a ways down the railroad track and their buckets were still pretty full. And I thought that was weird. But that's besides the point. It's like a lot. <laughs> um, and uh, so Dustin, of course, has a, a crush or has some feelings for Max. Uh, and Max and Lucas, as we come to find out, seems like they have some feelings for each other as well. And it's kind of the contention between Lucas and Dustin has kind of been a recurring theme, how they're both interested in Max romantically. And so uh, we see Lucas ask his parents for some advice, uh, dating advice, and then we see Dustin ask uh, Steve for some dating advice. And Steve gives some advice, and I'll just quickly sum it up. Basically says, you need to act like you don't care. And then once you feel the sort of sexual electricity, then it's your time to strike and be aggressive like a lion. And I took a, I didn't love that, I guess I'll say. It didn't, it doesn't work for Dustin, which I thought was a good lesson. But I... What does work right is that Lucas is connecting with her yeah, and listening to and her. And listening yeah. to her and, and engaging her in mm-hmm. the things that she's feeling and thinking mm-hmm. about. Um, but And like paying attention to... What she's communicating, right? Yeah. 
uh, but particularly in light of certain things that are happening in our country right now, uh, be aggressive. As, and I didn't like it. It didn't sit that well with me. And I was reminded of the discussion that we had in our 13 Reasons Why episodes about consent. And I don't remember the main character's name of 13 Clay. Years. Clay, yeah, thank you. There's actually a really... Let me pull out my 40-page document. <laughs> you did take pretty amazingly extensive <laughs> notes little, on 13 Reasons Why. It was probably excessive, oh. but... <laughs> I w- once again, I've I've said this before, and I stand by this opinion that I wouldn't recommend people watch Thirteen Reasons Why, yeah. but I would uh, recommend that they watch the specific scene where Clay and I don't remember the other main character's name, Hannah. Hannah, thank you, Katie. That's amazing. Uh, are they are? It's at a party, mm-hmm. and and they're um, getting involved physically, yeah. and and uh, Clay just you know he just stops and says, "Hey, is this okay?" and uh, I just thought that was there was some other stuff that happened yeah, after that that I don't want to talk yeah. about. But if we think of that just, just that in a perfect slice, vacuum, yes, yes. Uh, I thought that was really nice because sometimes there's this sort of stuff that you hear where oh I don't want to ruin the moment or whatever like that. And I thought that scene was maybe the best part of Thirteen Reasons Why, and it showed how simple and easy just asking for consent is. And I don't know, I was just thinking about some of that stuff when I saw this. No, I agree. I mean, in light of uh, increased reports across many different areas of sexual assault or sexual harassment, Mm -hmm. uh, different types of sexual abuse that have just coming out of areas in in Hollywood and um, government officials and actors and academia. I mean, it's Mm -hmm. been in a lot of areas... It seems like especially that line was hard to hear. I'm not saying like that someone wouldn't really say that in terms oh, of the yeah. movie and um, that some people don't think that, but it kind of like in light of having these things on my mind, yeah. I was like, oh, I just, it's hard for me to hear that. And I think, you know, it also is this idea like there's this, um, it's it's kind of dehumanizing and like the, it's like there's some sorcery like, you know, Women like guys, and I've certainly heard people say this kind of stuff, that are aggressive. They want you to go after them. But that word aggressive, especially, because he wasn't even just like, they like women who are forward with their feelings. The word aggressive specifically to me, I was like, that really, like, I don't know, it made me feel kind of nauseous hearing that. And so, I mean, I think that, that just... Again, in context, it's hard to not think about that and think instead how I I like in this episode how they show like Lucas and Max are really connecting a lot because they're really listening to each other. Like she really opens up to him about the experience of moving and the divorce and all this stuff. And he opens up to her too and they share this moment and they're connecting that way versus this idea of like... um, She's a prize to be won, and you have to act yeah. this certain Ignore way. Her yeah, and be aggressive and play and, games and yeah. stuff like that. So, uh, so yeah, I think in this current time, again, I'm not saying people don't really say that, but because of right. all of this news that's been coming out, it was kind of like oh, it was hard to hear that. I agree, and I actually, to that point, I actually mm-hmm. thought it felt realistic too. Yeah, I thought it seemed like exactly something you might see or hear. And maybe their way of challenging it was to show basically that that didn't work. Be. I don't know, or maybe they're just like that's kind of his personality, mm-hmm. right? Because they do. I mean, even in season one, he does. You know, he is supposed to be popular, but he's kind of a jerk, and then he kind of this idea that he changes for Nancy, yeah. which is another thing you see in a lot of so fiction. Cliche. It is like she's something really special worth acting different for. Well, why not act decently and nice yeah. to anyone? And I don't know. In fact, they actually say that, too, mm-hmm. about Nancy and about Max. Like, 
oh, well, she's different. Right, exactly. This idea like of those who are deserving versus not deserving of being treated well. It's not a good way to talk about women. No, I'm not I'm not a fan or men or anyone or that way. Right. I mean, yeah, yeah. no, I agree. It just happens to be in this context. That's kind of more of the thing. But yeah, any anyone that way. But like that is a big thing. I mean there are books and strategies and how to pick people up and how Mm -hmm. to do this and how to do that. And it's a whole industry. It is. It is. And so I think that like and there is actual like relationship research and psychologists and stuff like that but the key thing here to me was that aggressive part that i was like that's not good advice for that young man and he wasn't really aggressive he did kind of act like he didn't care or he was really fed up or something like that but um you know dustin has some he seems like basically a kind gentle person i mean he's a little he acts his age yeah (laughs) but he didn't take the advice in terms of that which i was grateful for I think that actually you kind of hit on our last point, too, mm-hmm. which leads us into uh, a recurring theme for this season. I don't remember if we saw it as much in season one. Mm-hmm. Uh, but in this season, certainly, it's been a recurring theme of having people connecting uh, and really listening to each other. And uh, I think it's just so important uh, to think about listening. I think a lot, this is this is so cliche, too. A lot of times we hear, but we don't listen. People kind of say that, and I don't like it, but it is true. Oh, it's very true, right? A lot of problems for people not being able to kind of civilly discuss different points of view is waiting to speak rather than kind of hearing them out. And I thought that there's been a few good examples of genuine active listening uh, in this season. I I can't remember if we talked about... uh, um, This is the problem we talked about the show before and after recording. But certainly between... Uh, Will and Mike in, uh, I think it was episode three, uh, you know, uh, Will's talking about how he really kind of feels like a freak and, uh, and I don't like to use that word, but that's the word he's yeah, using, and, was... uh, which is a, probably a typical age level uh, word that's used. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, he says, you know, I feel like a freak and, and, and people are treating him differently and calling him zombie boy. And even, he, you know, his own mother and brother who are trying to be so supportive and caring are, are, are treating him a little bit differently than I bet they did before he was in the Upside Down. And uh, they have such a nice moment where Mike says, you know what, uh, we'll, we'll be freaks together then and, and really normalizes the experience. I think that happens with his brother, too. Yeah. Maybe with, I'm conflating those two events, actually, now. It, but it's, it's similar <laughs> It's similar themes because, yeah. yeah, Jonathan is basically like, we'll be crazy together yeah. or mm-hmm. we're all little freaks. They're basically trying what they're doing. So they're listening, which is great. But the second thing is that they're they're correctly, I think, interpreting that, you know, Will is feeling like a weirdo yeah. because he does have other stuff going on. And because of that, he's keeping more things to himself. Mm-hmm. So the way they try to do this in a way is say we all have these crazy, again, not right. not our favorite words, but these are the words they use, um, these crazy or freaky things about us. And you're not so different from us. And you can see that that kind of relaxes him to a point where he can talk without that fear of mm-hmm. being judged and that's really touching to see oh, that. Yeah. And that happens multiple times. And I also think it gives, well, maybe especially in contrast to 13 Reasons Why, where there are a lot of, Ugh. like, despicable <laughs> behaviors towards people. And you're like, ah, oh, these people are horrible. Here you see that there are some genuine connections and kindness throughout. Even though there are people like Max's brother who, 
I don't know what his deal is. He's just, I don't know. Maybe racist, certainly callous. He's I, certainly a jerk and kind of sensation-seeking yeah. and controlling and might have to grab anger that. problems. Yeah. I don't know if we'll learn too much more about him, but He's I mean, when he tried jerk. to run them yeah. over... And that seemingly was, a... was going to. Max yeah, turned the I car. Know. That so was weird. Bad. Yeah. So, like, I appreciate that, like, there are these kind, loving yeah. peers and, and his older brother and stuff like that and those types of connections. And I agree. I think those are nice moments. There's certainly things that in therapy that, you know, we try to do is normalize and listen mm-hmm. and be non-judgmental. And they're good for friendships as well. Yeah. Validate and normalize and... and non-judgmental approaches to people uh, you just will you're gonna have people really feeling comfortable about yeah. with those approaches. it also yeah. helps them know they're they're not alone in this yeah. like that's the other thing is that i think it can kind of shut people down if you're like don't worry everything will be fine and it's like you we don't actually know what's going on with will so that's i mean the mom does that and i think she does it in a yeah. loving way like whatever it is we'll do this together but if you're just like no worries, everything's cool. That's not as good as, like, in this situation, which is, like, look, so we're, we all have our little weirdness things, but, yeah. like, we still have our friendship or we're still brothers or whatever it is. And it's, like, we're you're not alone in dealing with this, which it seems like that's how he feels. Mm-hmm. He feels like a freak and, like, he's alone, you know? So, yeah, that's a really nice aspect of the show. It helps me in between the fear of when they're getting attacked. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, what's going to happen? I'm reminded now of how much I didn't like 13 Reasons Why. Yeah, I know. In so many ways, it's the opposite of, of Stranger Things. Oh, no. Ugh. And it's like, Stranger Things, again, they don't have all perfect characters, but they're not all, like, doing horrible yeah, not things. every single person is bad. Yeah. Gosh, I hate 13 Reasons Why. <laughs> if you to... want to hear more about <laughs> that, we have three full episodes on it, so... Did it, um, or almost four. Didn't we do... Maybe you're right. It might be... It, I can't remember. It seemed it was, like it was yeah, a non-stop three. discussion. <laughs> yeah, too many. Well, it was so popular, we had to talk about it. And there were definitely mental health myths and other things present. I need to work on actively forgetting about that show again now. Well, it's been brought to the forefront. I know. Well, season two, supposedly, is going to cover happen. that? I don't know. I don't know if I actually have the willpower for another season of that show. That's how much it negatively impacted my mood. That was rough. That and was it's horrible. not like we can't watch, like things that are sad or horrible like we watch plenty of that yeah we deal with a lot of that (laughs) but there just wasn't much that was redemptive in terms of that i walked away with no i know other people felt differently yeah but for me that was my feeling you know this is slightly tangential but one thing that i was thinking about um with regard to how they're all dealing with we didn't talk about this but nancy continues to struggle with her grief over mm-hmm. Barb, and we talked about that a little bit last time. Is I as as we've talked about before, I'm really into music. Brandon's mm-hmm. been listening to a lot of Hamilton lately. So. True. Um, I there's a new song by an artist who I've talked about before named Dessa, who often has psychological themes and actually has also used images of her brain in some of her talks and concerts and stuff like that. But anyway, she has a single out that's called um, "Good Grief" and. If you have a chance to YouTube it, you might want to check it out. It's kind of this idea that she was thinking about, like, you know, sometimes when negative things happen, people are like, but I really grew from that, and it was a really meaningful experience. Her whole point is, like, you don't know that in the moment. It's really only once it's in the past that you kind of have those feelings, and it made me think about how we were talking about Will and, like, how it's not really PTSD because he's still in 
the trauma. Mm-hmm. Like, technically, I guess he could for the first incident, but he still has right. this ongoing experience. And for a lot of them, like, they are stuck. It's not something they can look back because they're encountering it now, which is important for this season. But also with Barb, like, it's not put to rest because they're keeping this secret, and so mm-hmm. it's hard to kind of move on from that. Although you do see her connection with Jonathan kind of... Yeah. She's processing it a little bit more. Mm-hmm. So... It'll be interesting to see how it all plays out in the last three episodes. I'm excited to wrap it up and uh, see what happens. Me too. So, in conclusion, in summary, we briefly talked about behavioral modification, diagnosis and giving diagnostic feedback, briefly discussing um, ECT or shock therapy, electroconvulsant therapy, um, different areas of the brain and their functions. We talked about Steve's advice to Dustin. And then talked about the importance of listening for yeah. connecting with people. It was a good episode. I was worried we wouldn't get through all of those points, but we did. With... We stayed more on task than last time. <laughs> Less Frasier talk yeah. this week. We got specific feedback from Dr. Bart Andrews. So maybe if we talked about <laughs> Frasier less, we could cover more content. And he was right. He's right. Thanks, Bart. But there will be a future Frasier episode. Without a doubt. Lots but Frasier. with that, let's call it a wrap for today. Any other closing thoughts, Katie? No, just... Uh, Thank you for listening. And uh, have a wonderful week, and you'll hear from us next week. Thank you for listening to the Jedi Council Podcast, a member of the Geek Therapy Podcast Network. You can find more information about our podcast or blog at www.jedi-council.com. If you would like to support the Jedi Council Podcast, please check out our Patreon page at www.patreon.com slash Jedi Council. The views expressed on this podcast are our own and do not necessarily reflect the views of our employers. Additionally, this podcast is for entertainment and informational purposes only and should not be used in place of advice from a mental health or medical professional. If you're struggling with mental health issues, please seek professional help.